This is the first and foremost podcast. I'm Jimmy Covington. And I'm Quentin Douglas. Let's get to it. All right. We're here to give you uh, sport, give you all the information that you need to know on the, the uh, hot sports topics. Uh, we're providing good analysis. So please tune in each and every week as we drop an episode on Sunday. So, you know, let's get started. So uh, across the right. league, across the league, the big topic has been uh, where is Tom Brady going to play football next year? And uh, you're hearing a lot of Titans. You're hearing a lot of New England talk. You're hearing a little bit of Raiders talk and a little bit of Chargers talk. But what do you think is the best landing spot for Tom Brady and why? I think the best landing spot is for him to stay right where he is in New England. I think him, clearly him and Bill Belichick have built a dynasty in Boston with the Patriots. And at this point in career, I I just don't think it's right for him to go anywhere else. Uh, you know, football-wise, the Titans do make sense uh, from a roster uh, standpoint. But thinking logistically and thinking of off-the-field aspects as well, I think that the Patriots makes the most sense. But it will take a lot of work uh, considering that last season Tom Brady was throwing to God knows who last season. Uh, so he's definitely going to need some uh, new weapons because he's – Clearly not the quarterback, the elite quarterback that we're used to seeing, uh, which he still can win you some football games, but I think it's it's going to take a lot of help around him to do so. What do you think? I think he should also stay in New England. I mean, like you said, uh, in terms of football, I think Tennessee is the better spot. I mean, Tennessee has some work to do. They have to re-sign Jack Conklin, I believe, and uh, re-sign. Also, you need to re-sign Derrick Henry, of course. Uh, but you have A.J. Brown, who was a monster last year. You have Corey Davies. You have Janu Smith. You have that offensive line. They played well down the stretch. So I think football-wise, uh, that would be a great spot for him. But I think – but we both know it's not all about football. It's about, like you said, the logistics. And I don't think Giselle, his wife and his kids, I don't believe they would be happy in Nashville. I mean, Giselle is a very successful supermodel. And last time I checked, Nashville is not a great market for supermodels, uh, to be honest with you. New England isn't either. But they've been there 20 – Tom Brady's been there 20 years. So, I think it's a lot to consider just making such a big change. You have to, things like uh, what you eat pregame, uh, how do you like your locker, how do you like your uniform, your pads to be, you know, all those sorts of things. And I think there's stuff you have to take with you. You can't just up and move this type of things. You know, the, tennis, the staff of the Titans has to learn those things about you. And I think, you know, familiarity with the system, you still, they're still, New England is still keeping uh, Josh McDaniels. So I think familiarity with the system and, you know, just the coaches and just the whole entire facility, uh, I think that's what ultimately gives uh, the New England Patriots the edge. But, like, you're right. They do have some work to do in terms of uh, weapons. I think the offensive line wasn't great last year. And, like you said, uh, David Andrews was hurt with a blood clot. Uh, they also have to re-sign their left guard, Joe Tooney. He's one of the best left guards in the game. Uh, so need to re-sign him. Hopefully David Andrews can come back. But also Dante Scarnecchia retired. That was a long time for some line coach. I think that's a that's an underrated uh, subtraction from the New England Patriots. He's been the mainstay within the dynasty. I think they need some help at tight end. Obviously, they had a bunch of no names out there last year. Uh, Hunter Henry's on the market. Uh, Austin Hooper's on the market from the, the Atlanta Falcons. So I think both of those guys would be. Would be great additions. They need a pass catching tight end. That's traditionally how the New England Patriots have won, especially since Gronk got drafted. And so I think they need some offensive weapons. So they need somebody who can stretch the just stretch the field. 
I don't know what free agents are going to be. I know Robbie Anderson is going to be available from the New York Jets. I think they might should make a run at Robbie Anderson. Uh, I think I know AJ Brown is expected to be franchise tag by the Bengals. I don't know what plan they have for AJ Green. Whether they're going to sign and trade or they're just going to keep him to be with Joe Burrow. Uh, they do need, like I said, they need to add some some more speed, maybe some more size on the outside too. Uh, Nikhil, it remains to be seen how good Nikhil Harry is going to be. You know, he missed a lot of time last year. And, you know, one thing I've heard with even veteran receivers like Chad Ochocinco is that their system is hard to pick up on all the intricacies and, like, where you need to be. And it's exactly where you need to be. It's not one of those things where you can freestyle. You need to be where Tom Brady says you need to be in order for the system to work. So I think they need to be able to try to find some guys to bring in. I think Mohamed Sanu, uh, he struggled last year. I think that was mostly because of his unfamiliarity within that New England system. So I think with another year under the belt, he'll be better. I think Nikhil Harry will be better. I think Julian Edelman will come back. Maybe he might come back a little slower since he'll be like 34. But, uh, you know, he's familiar with the system. Him getting healthy, I think that'll definitely help. But I don't need to think they need to add some speed and uh, add another tight end. I think they'll be right in business and solidify the offensive line. Now, I think you definitely brought up like an underrated aspect that we don't think of that much. Like, Tom Brady does like his receivers to, you know, be precise. And, you know, they have to run a certain way, be in certain spots. And honestly, I don't know if that's the easiest thing to really sell to receivers in today's NFL. Like, it may sound good on paper playing with Tom Brady, but you have to think when you go to the Patriots, they have a certain way they want to do things, a certain way you have to carry yourself certain way you have to play, and that could be pretty taxing on players. Uh, but I do think that they'll definitely need someone. Uh, I know another option. You know, Stephon Diggs wasn't too happy in Minnesota last year. I wouldn't be surprised to see him still maybe, you know, try to navigate his way out of Minnesota to somewhere else uh, next year. He could possibly be an option uh, that the Patriots could look at. And I think also – if you need any further validation of the relationship between Tom Brady and Robert Kraft, which I think is most important, I don't know if you recall or not, but, uh, you know, Tom Brady's mom was a cancer patient and Robert Kraft gave her a Super Bowl ring. And, you know, Super Bowl rings aren't cheap. And I think something like that just shows like the kind of the kind of relationship that they've built over the years. And I think something like that is just so hard to leave and find yourself trying to replicate that in a brand new location. I think honestly, if they didn't have that relationship, I think Tom Brady would have been gone years ago. I'm pretty sure you can recall when they were trying to trade him and keep Jimmy Garoppolo, but you, of course, Tom Brady said something to, it's not beneficial, but I'm pretty sure Tom Brady had something to say with that, uh, with Robert Kraft. I think you brought up the point about Stephon Diggs. I, I actually forgot about that. He's been disgruntled for a while now. I recently saw some on his Instagram maybe like a couple weeks ago. I think they, he'd be a perfect addition to with the New England Patriots. I think you made a valid point when you said uh, the way they want you to play, it's not conducive to how a lot of guys play these days. Uh, to bring it in basketball terms, you know how Clay Thompson comes off screens. He's precise. I think that's New England system. But you have a lot of guys that like the freestyle like guys like Damian Lillard, you know, those type of guys. And the Stephon Diggs is one of those freestyle type guys. I don't think he's a mm-hmm. be here and don't be anywhere but here at this point right here. I don't think he's one of those guys. But right. I think I think yeah. he has the capability to fo- to form into that system. But I think it'll be tough 
And uh, also, is what is Belichick going to be willing to part in order to get Stephon Diggs? Uh, it depends on what the Vikings' ask, asking price is. I don't think Bill Belichick is willing to give up that much to get Stephon Diggs. I know he's a great receiver and all, but I don't really think, due to Bill Belichick's history, I don't think he's going to do that at all. I think they're going to bring a, a veteran in, maybe draft a guy or two, and uh, we'll see where it goes from here. Yeah, I don't know, though, because I, I just don't feel like that's going to be enough to convince Tom Brady to stay in New England. It's going to take a lot, a lot of convincing. I don't think – because they tried the strategy with drafting last year, and, man, that was awful. So I just don't see him being able to put up with it again for another season. i tell you what, I think an underrated loss for them early in the year was the fullback James Devlin, too. Uh, he played a key – had a key role in their offense uh, last Super Bowl win, uh, blocking, catching passes. So a uh, fullback is underrated in his scheme as well. I think having James Devlin back will help. And I think adding a tight end, that will help a lot of problems too. I think ultimately they should be a run first team. I mean, they have Sonny Michelle. They added Damian Harris last year. I believe those guys can pound the rock and control the clock. And I think, like I said earlier, the offensive line needs to be shored up. Isaiah Wynn needs to get better. Uh, they need to re-sign Joe Tooney. And uh, I think David Andrews needs to get better. Hopefully, he can play next year. So, I think if those things happen, then they can still – I mean, they, after all of that, they still won 12 games last year. And they still are right. in the AFC East. I mean, Sam Darnold's going to get better, but the Jets are dysfunctional. Uh, the Miami Dolphins, I don't know. I mean, they have Brian Flores now, so I think they'll be a little more stable. But the Bills, I mean, you kind of never know. I mean, they have a great coaching staff, and Josh Allen made strides, improved in strides last year. But, you know – I don't. I I, don't, I wouldn't rely on Josh Allen, you know, and the I Buffalo. Don't know. <laughs> if he can get a receiver, they might be. They might sneak up on some people next year. They did play ball last year, but like I said, even with all the things that went wrong in New England last year, uh, with Antonio Brown and Josh Gordon and Muhammad Sanu not playing out, and Nikhil Harry not playing well, and had not having tight end Julian Edelman getting hurt, the offensive line not being good, they still won twelve and four, and it was on the back of the defense. Uh, I can say that, but still, I mean, you won 12 games. So, you know, when you win 12 games, there's really not much to change. No, yeah, and that's that right there is what separates Belichick and Brady from anyone else in the game. You know, just their ability to come in year in and year out, regardless of the puzzle pieces around them and, you know, all the mix of personalities, they still find a way to get it done on the field, you know, regardless. And I think you have to give your hats off to them in that aspect. I think at the end of the day, I mean, we all know what's important. Uh, wins are the only thing that's important. It doesn't really matter how you do it. I mean, you want to do it pretty. You want it to look good, but that's not going to always be the case, especially with how unpredictable the game of football is, and especially the NFL. Because, I mean, all those teams, I mean, they might not have the best personnel, but those guys are going to play hard if they have the right coach. And I think on any given Sunday, you know, anybody could lose. Uh, as you can see, when uh, New England lost to Miami late in the year, so I think I think Tom Brady, I think he'll return to New England. I think they'll be okay next year. Probably win another 10, 12, 11 games, and they'll be right back in the playoff picture. Yeah, no doubt they'll they'll always be in the picture, but it'll definitely be interesting to see how that plays out over the off season. Oh yeah. Uh, so Friday night, the Los Angeles Lakers took on the Milwaukee Bucks, and the Lakers uh, got the W. Score of, like yeah, the Lakers got the W. Uh, I was 
What do you take? What is your take on that game? Man, you know, I honestly didn't learn anything from that game that I didn't already know. Uh, you know, clearly all the talks been about, you know, is the best player in the league Giannis? Is it Kawhi? Is it still LeBron? And you know, clearly LeBron took this weekend personal given all the chatter. Uh, but I think it just showed once again, Giannis isn't ready uh, for championship basketball yet. And until he expands his game, yes, he can win regular season MVP and, you know, have his team on pace to win 72 games. But in the playoffs, when the team is going to play him physical and, you know, build a wall and force him uh, to be uncomfortable, uh, as as long as his side his uh sidekicks aren't stepping up, it's gonna be hard for them to win come playoff time. What totally, do you think? I totally agree with you. Uh, I think Giannis' game is extremely limited, but he still finds a way to be dominant. Kind of reminds me of Shaq uh, in the early '90s. He was real dominant, but until he got that true superstar wing that could take over the game and create his own shot when he needed to. Uh, he wasn't going to win the championship until then. And I think with the Bucks, I think Giannis is a great player, but he can dribble. He has great handles to be a seven-footer. But I think when it comes to just creating his own shot when he needs it, he's not able to do that because of his game, his lack of a jump shot. And I, I don't believe mm-hmm. – I think Chris Middleton is a great player. He's an all-star, but I don't think he's a super the superstar that they need that can rely on. I think a guy like Brad Bill would be perfect for, for them. But I didn't learn anything new about the Lakers uh, Friday night, honestly. Uh, we knew what Braun and AD were going to do. Uh, I was glad LeBron stepped up and took the challenge of guarding Giannis on occasions. The Lakers, we don't need them to guard Giannis every single play. Uh, but no, oh no. But when his number is called to guard Giannis, we need him to be effective. And effective he was. And, you know, he flexed his muscle in the meantime. I mean, he had 37, 8, and 8, and he also had three steals. And he was great from the free throw line, which is, you know, LeBron struggled from the free throw line this year, shooting 69%. He went 12 of 15 from the line. So, you know, anytime you can get that type of contribution from LeBron from the line, free throw line, that's always going to be great. Uh, AD played big in the second half. He ended up with 30. I think that was crucial, too, especially to end the fourth quarter. End of the fourth quarter, that was crucial. AD kind of took over the game. And I think that's kind of what the Lakers are going to need come playoff time. But in terms of Milwaukee, yeah, no doubt. I think in terms of Milwaukee, I think, you know, I think it's going to be more of the same as last year in the playoffs. Uh, but if they can rely on other guys like Chris, Chris Middleton went two of 10 from three and five of 19 from the field. Eric Bledsoe went five of 13. Wesley Matthews went one of six uh, as a team. They shot 20, 12 of 43 from three, 27%. I don't think they'll shoot that poorly in the playoffs, but I think uh, when you play somebody like Miami or something, that's going to be able to scheme and uh, I think they'll be able to keep Giannis from entering the paint as much, just like the Raptors did last year with Kawhi. And uh, I think it's going to be more of the same for the Bucks in the playoffs. I think until Giannis expands his game, he becomes a more respectable shooter. I think they're going to continue to struggle in the playoffs, honestly. And uh, you know, remember James Harden making those comments saying he didn't have any skill. Uh, he has skill, but James Harden, he should he would have been more accurate saying that Giannis's game is limited because, I mean, that is what it is. Giannis yeah, shot for sure. Giannis shot 11 for 14 for the line, but he shoots 63% on the year. So are you going to be able to rely on him shooting free throws late game? Because I think, too, if you're the opposing team and you're defending Giannis, 
I think sending him to the free throw line at this point counts as a W for your defense, honestly. It does. I believe it does because I, I don't believe he's going to make 11 out of 14 uh, four times. In no, the definitely not. All right, so, you know, now we can move on to who do you believe is the biggest threat to, in, in the East of Milwaukee uh, between Philly, Miami, Toronto, or Boston, and uh, why? So here's the way I see it. Out of those four, I think Toronto's biggest issue is going to be their health. And then come playoff time, who's going to be that person who's going to be the alpha dog who really, like, carries the team down the stretch? And I don't see anyone filling Kawhi's shoes and being able to do that. Then for Philly, uh, you know, they have a really weird roster. I don't know why Elton Brand thought Al Horford was the X factor to them getting the championship. But, uh, you know, they've been playing well without Embiid and Simmons. I think it's going to be key to see whether or not they can keep that up going down the stretch. Uh, but for me, that's too many question marks to determine if they'll be able to hang with Milwaukee. Uh, and then looking at Miami, um, yeah, they've beaten them twice in the regular season. And I think they actually match up. Uh, really well with Milwaukee, given that they have guys like Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo uh, who can really disrupt uh, Giannis and kind of build that wall that he struggles against. Uh, But for me, and my favorite to come out of the East this year is the Boston Celtics. And for me, uh, the biggest thing has to do with the growth of Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown. Um, You know, clearly – Kyrie basically, you know, equally switched out for Kemba. Um, But I think that the way that Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown have been able to elevate their games this year, because you could have easily made the case for Jalen Brown to be an all-star, in my opinion. Uh, I think the way that they've been able to elevate their games to new levels uh, and be able to uh, develop as far as, like, ball handling and things of those nature. Uh, as well as uh, Gordon Hayward. I think he's back to Utah Jazz, Gordon Hayward. Uh, He's been playing really well for them this year. So that gives them three, uh, I wouldn't say elite, but three um, really good and really skilled wing defenders who play on both ends of the floor and who can get their own shot. And for me, that's really big. I think it's always about uh, how many how many players do you have on your team where you can just give them the ball and say, all right, get the hell out of the way. I got this. And I think they have, you know, four guys who are easily capable of doing that. And then you got guys like Grant Williams uh, and and Robert Williams and Marcus Smart, who's been a, a top five defensive player in the league this year, in my opinion. And when you put the mixture of those guys together, as long uh, as well as the effort on the defensive end, along with the mind of uh, Brad Stevens, the head coach. And I think they're well-equipped uh, to get over the hump and knock out the Bucks in the playoffs this year. <clears throat> For me, I think who poses the who's the best matchup? I believe uh, Philly is the best matchup because of the shot blocker they have in Joel Embiid, you know, and Al Horford is no slouch in the paint, and you have Ben Simmons who can pretty much guard anyone. I think you, they could have like a approach like they, like Toronto had last year. You had Kawhi to funnel him, 
So I think in terms of the best matchup, I think Philly provides the best matchup. You have two shot blockers and Joel Embiid and Al Horford. And I think they can play like Toronto did last year with Kawhi. You have to meet Giannis at half court. You can't let him get ahead of steam. And somebody as big and strong as Ben Simmons can kind of funnel him to the paint. And I think when you have a build a wall, uh, Giannis really struggles with that. But I don't, I can't rely on on Joel Embiid's health. I don't trust Ben Simmons' ability not to shoot the basketball. He refuses to shoot the basketball. And I, I can't depend on that in the playoffs. And I also believe they don't have much of a bench, if at all, and not many shooters. So that quality, that kind of disqualifies them in my eyes. I think with Toronto, like you said, you used to put it perfect. They don't have that guy. I mean, Pascal Siakam is a great player. He's, a, he's an all-star. But right now, I don't, I don't think he's the alpha dog like Kawhi. I oh, think yeah, Kawhi sure. is the ultimate alpha dog. He just doesn't talk. I think when it comes down to it, he can get the clutch buckets. He can guard your best player. So I think they don't, they're missing that guy. Uh, for me, Miami, I love Miami, actually. Uh, you see, uh, as you can see a couple last week uh, when Miami beat Milwaukee, they had Bam guarding Giannis for a little bit of time, and Bam did a great job on Giannis. Bam is one of those guys that can do a little bit of everything. You also have Jimmy Butler, and you also have guys like Andre Iguodala, and you also have Derrick Jones Jr., and uh, – Jay Crowder, you can throw those guys at Giannis. Uh, I don't think none of those. Guys, I don't think those none of those guys can guard him. I think the only thing with Miami, I mean, they have Bam Adebayo. He's a shot blocker, but he's only six nine, six eight, and I think though, I think the length and the size of the Milwaukee books uh, could ultimately get them some problems because they also have Brook Lopez and Robin Lopez. I think Bam Adebayo. I think outside of Bam Adebayo, I think Kelly Olynyk is maybe the tallest player on their team. And I don't think you want Kelly Olenek on the floor playing with Giannis and Brooke Lopez and Robin Lopez, honestly. So I think that kind of disqualifies, kind of disqualifies them. I think the best matchup is the Boston Celtics, who actually don't really have a shot blocker. Uh, Boston, they don't actually have a shot blocker, but I think they pose the best case. They have guys. Jason Tatum is an underrated defender. Jalen Brown is a strong guy. You have Marcus Smart, Gordon Hayward. You have those kind of guys that can help, help out with Giannis. I think they pose the best threat. You know, Jason Tatum has really established himself as a superstar. Jalen Brown should have been an all-star. You have Kemba Walker, you know, Marcus Smart has been playing some great ball. Uh, Daniel Tice has been great for them, too. And I think uh, Gordon Hayward has been playing well, too. So, I think they pose the best threat. And I, I, I honestly believe Boston is going to come out of the East. Uh, I don't trust Milwaukee. Uh, we've seen teams win 50, 60 games. And uh, I just don't think the way – Giannis is limited in his game. I don't think that kind of translates to, to success right now. I think he's going to need to develop a jump shot or they're going to have to get a true superstar, like like I said earlier, a Brad Beal or somebody like that. They can alleviate pressure from Giannis and get his own shot and be that guy when Giannis doesn't have it going. Yeah, for sure. I agree with you, bro. Because I think, I think, honestly, the Bucks have the same problem that the Lakers have. You know, just like the Lakers outside of Braun and A.D., like, who else can you really just give the ball to and say, all right, go give me a basket? And I don't think – and Giannis, Giannis isn't at the point of his career yet or has, you know, rounded out his game to the point where he could truly just, you know, make up for that like LeBron does in the playoffs and, you know, really dissect the team with, like, his passing ability or even – oh, shoot with his passing ability or even, like, you know, Bron 
has his LeBronto fadeaways that he even goes to in the playoffs. And I think until Giannis gets that in his game, he won't quite get to that championship I, I level totally of basketball. Yeah, I totally agree. I think with the Lakers, um, you know, AD is like the kind of the Giannis, and then the, the second guy you have LeBron or whatever order you want to put those two guys in. But I think, you know, Milwaukee outside of Giannis doesn't have a guy comparable to AD or LeBron. So I think we have two superstar upper echelon top five guys on the roster. And like I said, no disrespect to Chris Middleton. He's a great player. He's an all-star, but he isn't that guy, you know, that you need. In this game, day and age, you need two two great, great players, superstar players, honestly, to win championships. It used to be multiple. Now it's more than two. Now it's, you know, it's back to two. It's a little more balanced now. But I think it all kind of depends on who your superstar guys are and the way you play. I think the way Giannis plays basketball is not conducive to winning right now. Because, uh, like I said, they don't have that second guy that you can just really depend on. No, yeah, I think the biggest thing with Chris Middleton, his consistency, like I literally look at Buck's stat line some nights, and this dude will literally have like seven or eight points. And I'm like, seriously? And he's supposed to be like a borderline all-star. And in order to win, you can't really have nights like that. Because I don't remember games where Braun or AD have went out and put up like seven or eight points. Because he doesn't really contribute anywhere else. I mean, he's not known as a playmaker. I mean, he's okay as a rebounder. And I guess he can play defense. But like you said, with that team, they need him to be a true shot creator. And he just doesn't have the skill set to be able to do that at the level that they need. So next, uh, you know, the Lakers and Clippers made a few acquisitions. Uh, you know, the Lakers added Markeith Moore. They let go of Boogie Cousins and uh, Troy Daniels and added Markeith Morris and Deion Waiters recently. And uh, the Clippers ended up adding Reggie Jackson, and they added Marcus Morris, who was a coveted – who was actually – both guys were actually coveted by the Lakers. And the Clippers gave up really next to nothing to get – to get Marcus Morris, gave up a bag of jelly beans and a and a fruit roll up, honestly, which is more heartless than like a second round pick. They didn't give up much to get him at all. <laughs> and at the time, Marcus Morris was averaging about 19 a game for the Knicks. He was leading Knicks in scoring, so I think that was a great acquisition. I think the Clippers got the two better acquisitions uh, so far. I think they've like gone. They've won six out of the last seven, and uh, I think those guys have been playing well. Reggie Jackson. I think one problem I think we thought people were gonna have was him accepting his role. But I think so far he's accepted his role. We don't know how they'll happen come playoff time. But I think the, the Clippers had the better acquisitions, but that still doesn't mean that they're going to beat the Lakers if they end up meeting in the playoffs in a seven-game series. But we can't just automatically assume, you know, that they're both going to meet up because, you know, anything can happen. The injury can happen. And, you know, the next thing, you know, we're having a completely different conversation. No, I think I'm going to have to go with the Lakers, and here's why. I think – the Clippers, uh, while it did look good on paper that they got both, you know, Reggie Jackson, and, Reggie Jackson, and Marcus Morris, I don't think they've been really uh, that good of fits as uh, Morris and Waiters can be with the Lakers. I think that Jackson really kind of brings what Lou Williams brought off the bench. I know Lou Williams does prefer to kind of play the two guard off the ball, but I think he was essentially just, you know, another Lou Williams replica. And, you know, ever since they've acquired Marcus Morris, you know, he was averaging like 17 in New York. 
as their primary option. And now he's gone to the Clippers where he's probably looked at as like fifth or sixth. And, you know, honestly, you know, like you saw tonight, he just hasn't really been able to, you know, transition well into their lineup, uh, not even really with just being a spot-up shooter. Uh, and I think we saw even today, Markeith Morris really brought something that the Lakers didn't really kind of have at first, you know, kind of somebody that could bring some toughness and, you know, add some versatility on the wing and, you know, defend multiple positions. Because he played well out there against the Clippers today, I thought. Uh, and I think Waiters, he'll he'll bring that additional pick-and-roll threat that I was talking about that the Lakers needed. Because while Rondo, you know, he's known for his passing and things of that nature, but as a scoring threat, nobody's afraid of Rondo taking a contested mid-range or three-point shot. So I think as long as Waiters can come in and, you know, get like 10, 11 points off the bench a night, I think he could be a pretty big key that this team didn't have before. So, you know, going from the pure aspect of how they fit and what they bring to the team, I think that the Lakers did a better job. Uh, I will uh, say the Clippers really didn't add. I mean, what people thought they were missing was a shot blocker. Uh, obviously, they didn't add a shot blocker, but I think it add, adds uh... – Yeah, but I mean, really, I think what is Joe Kino Noah... at this point of his career? <laughs> Yeah, right, exactly. They're just adding people at this point. I think he is going to be like the fifth option. You know, obviously, you know, uh, Kawhi's number one, PG's number two, and then Trez and Lou are interchangeable at three and four. I think he is that fifth option. And, uh, I mean, I think he's a team player. I think he just added just to another strength. I don't think he necessarily was added as a need, per se. And uh, even with Ricky Jackson, kind of had that guy in Lou Williams that could do it all. Uh, can play a little point, can play – really wants to play the two and score the ball. I think Reggie Jackson gives them another ball handler, but honestly, uh, I don't really think the way the Clippers play, I don't really think they necessarily need that guy because Paul George can play, make plays. Kawhi has gotten a lot better as a playmaker. I think he's averaging a career-high five assists a game this year. Uh, Luke Will can make plays. Uh, Marcus Morris can pass. Yeah. Uh, even Patrick Barry really can pass a little bit. So I think that guy was just just another add-in, to be honest with you. So, I, I mean, like I said, I still want to go with the Clippers in terms of uh, acquisitions. I think he adds to a position of strength in order to another guy to throw at LeBron. If they do happen to meet uh, in the playoffs, another guy to throw it and help guard LeBron. I mean, LeBron had a great game today, but he, he hasn't shot well in either of the three games. I think when, it, when a guy like LeBron, you can't stop him. Nobody's ever been able to stop him, but, you know, thing you can do That's with great goal. players like they got what you want to do is make it hard for him to score make him take more shots so instead of get, to get 30 points instead of taking 16 shots you want to get him to take 25 shots you know and it's not lebron it's not lebron's game lebron is efficient and he's he like maximizes possessions uh he takes a lot of shots to the paint he takes his threes he makes some of his threes but he likes to get to the paint you know make great pass so i think that adds another adding Marcus Morris is just adding another guy that they they can throw at LeBron. <laughs> Not they will, but that brings us to our last topic of the day. Uh, <laughs> the Los Angeles Clippers played the Los Angeles Lakers today uh, for the third time this season, and the Lakers came out on top, uh, one twelve to one hundred three. Uh, what were your takeaways from this game? Man, you know what, Kawhi he had the nerve to make this New Balance commercial. 
talking about his time is now. And I saw that, and I was like, I really hope LeBron has seen this commercial. And seeing the way he played out there today, I think he definitely might have saw that commercial because LeBron was just unstoppable out there today. I mean, like, I don't know. Like, Kawhi couldn't guard him. Morris couldn't guard him. They tried double teams. They, I mean, they even fouled him, and he was making and ones. Like, when LeBron is in this – like he's this aggressive and in this attacking mindset, there's literally no one in the league that can stop him. And I think, yeah, history, honestly. And I think where people have criticized this year, they don't see that night in, night out because, you know, he is reserving himself for the playoffs. But I think he's showing now, you know, all-star break is over. And for a lot of people, this is really like when the NBA season really starts. And I think now he's, you know, really taking that uh, personally, and he's putting the league on notice that he is still the best player in the today, world. With this game right here, I think, like you said, you said it perfectly. Uh, nobody can guard LeBron. I don't think in history, to be honest with you. Uh, but I think, I think they, I, I wasn't really, I didn't see anything new, honestly, today with the Lakers. I mean, Bron and AD play like they usually do. But I think a surprise of the day was uh, Avery Bradley. He had a great game. Avery Bradley put up 24 points today. He had a plus minus of a plus 13. I don't believe the Lakers will consistently get that from Avery Bradley. And I think when it comes to playoff time, I want to know who's going to be that guy that's going to give him that third scoring option. LeBron and AD accounted for almost half of the team's points. And uh, LeBron, AD, and Avery Bradley scored 82 of the 112. So the other six or seven guys only scored scored 32 point, 30 points. And I think that's extremely concerning. And for on the Clippers' hand, uh, early in the early in the game, uh, Kawhi kind of struggled. He got going early in the game, late later in the game. But I think uh, Marcus Morris is not going to score one point. He's going to score more than that. Lou Will is not going to score eight points. He's going to be seven points. He's going to be better than that. So I think, I mean, Trez gave you his usual 20 and eight. You know, Paul George played great ball today. He had 31 points, six assists, six rebounds, three steals, and three assists. Uh, Kawhi had 27. Uh, but he, he didn't shoot well from the three-point range. You know, Kawhi's not going to shoot that terrible three-point range. He's more of a, like a 37 38% shooter, so expect better shooting from him. Uh, I think when it comes down to it, I think Bron and AD are going to always be great. But I think where the Lakers fall short is, you know, who's going to be the counterpunch for Trez? Uh, who's going to be the counterpunch punch for Lou Williams? And if Marcus Morris gets going, who's going to be the counterpunch for Marcus Morris? I don't think the Lakers consistently have those extra three guys that's going to uh, show up four times in, in, in the two, in the seven-game series. I like Kyle Kuzma a lot. But, you know, he's been very inconsistent this year. I think he hasn't really adapted as well with his role. I think Kuzma one of those guys that needs the ball in his hand. He's been playing better of late. Uh, he had eight points and ten rebounds and a steal and two blocks. He played well today. Uh, not scoring the ball. Yeah. You know, you're going to need guys like him, too. too. If, he's, if he's not falling, his shot's not falling, you're going to need him need him to affect the game in other ways. Like I said, rebounding. Like I said he had a steal. He had a couple blocks. Uh, if he's not scoring the ball well, we need the Lakers will need him to – They'll need that from him. Dwight Howard needs to play more than seven minutes. I don't believe Rondo playing 22 minutes is going to help the Lakers. 
down down the stretch. Uh, Rondo's been a great player in his career, but I think at this point, I don't know what he has left. Uh, Caldwell Pope was four or six from the field. He had nine points, uh, you know, one of two from three. So that's pretty much what you expect from him. And Marcus Morris, like you said, provided some toughness and some grit and some nastiness. Uh, Danny Green played terrible today. He was 0 of 3 from the field, scored zero points. I think that doesn't happen. Uh, JaVale McGee really is not a scorer. He's more of a rebounder, shot blocker. Uh, he didn't have any blocks today, and he only had three rebounds. So you'll definitely need him to be better. But I think I, I didn't really take away anything from this game. Uh, I know the media put a little extra into it, of course, as always. But at the end of the day, man, uh, I still don't believe the Lakers can beat the Clippers in seven because of, you know, all the, the weapons and the scoring they have. And I think you can't rely on anybody outside of LeBron and AD for the Los Angeles Lakers, even though they are all-time great. You know, even as great as they are, you know, at some point you're going to need some extra help. And, you know, the Clippers come at you in waves with Kawhi and PG and Trez and Lou Will, and then they come at you with Marcus Morris and guys like Landry Shamit can ball. Uh, Reggie Jackson can ball. Zubak has been playing well of late. So I think you can get more consistent contribution from those guys than the Lakers role players. I don't know. I know you said you didn't really get much out of the win today, but the way those players were coming into the game and, you know, it was chippy, you know, players were talking back and forth and, you know, putting their bodies on the line. I think today – was really a statement win for the Lakers because all season people have been talking about, you know, Clippers this, Clippers that, Clippers more physical than the Lakers. But today they got out physical by the Lakers. I even saw LeBron dive on the floor and just, you know, snatch a ball away from whoever it was that was reaching for it. But, like, seeing plays like that, your best player putting his body on the line. And, you know, him and AD were – they – took multiple charges throughout the game. And, you know, that translates down to your role players. It may not show up in the score sheet, but, you know, even though players like Danny Green, you know, he has zero points. But on defense today, those guys really locked in and made things hard for the Clippers. And I think that said a lot about Uh, this team. uh, So I kind of figured, man, you have to keep the same energy. In the first two games, if you did this game, I know LeBron and AD, they definitely rose up for this one, especially LeBron. I saw a lot of intensity, a lot of passion. He took the challenge of guarding, you know, Kawhi and PG at times, which is what you – you can't stop those guys. Obviously, they're great players. What you can do is make it, make it tougher for them to score, and that's oh, just no, what you, that's what you kind of want to see. You want to <laughs> see LeBron James take the challenge because Danny Green and KCP and Kuzma, those guys just simply aren't good enough on the defensive end to stop Kawhi or PG or Lou Will. So I think you need LeBron to kind of take on the mantle and guard those guys. And I think today, uh, you know, those guys will tell you that it's just an ordinary game. But today, it was it seemed like a playoff atmosphere. There wasn't an ordinary regular season game in March. I think that's more of what you see if they if they meet up in the uh, in the playoffs. I think it's this type of atmosphere you'll see going forward. And I fully expect both teams to you know continue to win games. I think the Clippers are starting to round into form be a much better team going down the stretch. I think the Lakers are what they are. They've been great all year long. I think they'll continue to be great uh, going into the playoffs. So I'm extremely excited for the playoffs this year, especially the Western Conference and see how it's going to shake out. Oh, man, I'm definitely right with you. I'm excited for the playoffs too. I think it should be good this year. 
especially with teams like you got the Nuggets, uh, the Thunder are looking good this year, uh, the Rockets and their centerless roster. <laughs> the Jazz are always in the picture. So the West Western Conference playoffs should be good for like sure. Have a flaw, have an apparent flaw. So the Lakers, the left for the Lakers is like lack of a secondary playmaker uh-huh. and like shoot consistent shooting. For the Clippers, lack of a shot blocker. For the Utah Jazz, uh, lack of athleticism on defense. For the Houston Rockets, they have no size whatsoever. Uh, for the Grizzlies, uh, John Moran is a great player, but he's not a superstar yet. They're a great player. I think the lack of a, the lack of a superstar for them. Yeah, yeah. Of the Nuggets, I think they'll need Jamal Murray to be a superstar. Uh, Jokic is one of the best centers in the game. He's an all-NBA performer. We know what he is. But they need Jamal Jamal Murray to step up and be a super second superstar. I don't think he's that yet. I think he's a good player on the verge of being an all-star, but I don't think he's that quite yet. Oh, you have the you have the feisty Oklahoma Thunder. No, he's not uh there. I don't think Chris Paul's a great player. You know, Shea Gillis Alexander is great. Danilo Gallinari has been good his whole career. Stephen Adams is a solid player, but I don't think they have enough to quite compete with the Lakers and the Clippers of the world and the Nuggets of the world. So I think and you know you have the Dallas Mavericks too. They have uh, you know you know have Porzingis and oh, Luka, yeah, yeah. but I think their lack of an elite wing defender that would definitely hurt them. I know Porzingis and Luka both are mismatches, but I think you know they don't have a guy that can stop those elite wing players like Luka. If you look at all the other teams, who's going to guard Kawhi and PG? Who's going to guard LeBron? Who's going to guard James Harden and Russ? Uh, who guard John Morant, who who guard Donovan Mitchell and Boyan Bogdanovich, who would guard those guys. The Dallas Mavericks don't have guys on their roster that's capable of guarding them and uh, effectively four times leap to four victories in, in seven games. So I think, you know, the Western Conference playoffs is going to be exciting, but we I think we pretty much all know who's going to be there at the end. I think it's going to be Lakers and Clippers, and I think it's going seven. As long as the Clippers don't fall which to I don't, the three Which I don't really see happening, especially not with guys like Kawhi Leonard and Pat Bev and Lou Will and Paul George. I don't, and Doc Rivers is the coach. I think that's underrated oh, yeah. as well. And Ty Lue and uh, Sam Cassell on the roster. I think it's a great coach, great coaching staff too. I think they don't get enough credit because it's a lot of, lot of talent that you're trying to form and morph to make a team, a lot of individual talent. And none of those guys are selfish, uh, but I think it's still hard having and I think, you know, Paul George, he's taking the mount. He's scoring less. I think he's taking the mount of being that glue guy. But I think when you need him to step up like he did today, you know, he's obviously he's capable of being the best player on the floor in the series if you need him to be. He's that talented. But, you know, Paul George accepted the mount, like I said, as being the glue guy. It's going to do all the, the little things to help you win. I think that's what Marcus Morris is as well. He's one of those glue guys that's capable of helping and stepping up like he did Boston a couple of years ago in the playoffs. Well, all I know is come playoff time, they just hey, got a little hey, taste like, of what they're like going to get man, I, ho- I so, hope so. I really we'll do. See. It's been a long time since the title been in L.A. You know, the Lakers want to do it for Kobe. Uh, I'm excited to see. I know Bron is highly motivated. You know, the Wash King. You know, oh, what yeah. they call him, the all Wash time, King, year 17 Wash King. So I'm, I'm excited to see. I'm excited for the rest of the season. I'm excited for the playoffs. This has been a great NBA season with a lot of storylines, a lot of intrigue. Oh, yeah. Oh, well, is there anything else you want to add? I think that's all, man. You good? You got anything else? 
Oh, no, I'm good. But listen, hey, we appreciate y'all for tuning in today. Uh, more episodes will be coming on Sundays. Uh, please support us. Uh, we'll be tweeting out links to the to our uh, SoundCloud. Uh, we're posting on Twitter. So please, you know, follow us. Give us any suggestions. You know, text us if you got our number, Snapchat, Instagram, Twitter. Hit us up if you got any suggestions on how to improve the show. We're all for open ears. Uh, thank you for joining us today. I'm Jimmy Covington. All right, and I'm Quentin Douglas, and that'll do it for us here on First and Foremost. Peace. Y'all have a good one.